According to the National Center for Learning Disabilities, learning and attention issues are far more common in America than most people think. The center says that one in five children have some sort of a learning issue, such as dyslexia or ADHD. Learning disabilities account for the largest of the 13 categories covered by the special education law. 39% of students receive special education for a learning disability, which covers twice as much as the next biggest category, speech-language impediments. Laura Reber is a trained school psychologist with more than a decade of experience assisting students with diverse learning needs reach the fullest heights and capitalize on their potential. It's her work as a psychologist which inspired Laura to start the Progress Parade. The goal of the endeavor is to match students with diverse learning needs with expert learning specialists to provide online tutoring and educational therapy which turn learning challenges into achievements. Rever joined me this week to discuss the Progress Parade in further detail and divulge her thoughts on the progress we've made in order to advance forward the causes and rights of students with diverse learning needs. I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. I asked Reber to begin her remarks by reflecting upon the progress we've made to serve students with diverse learning needs better and giving an honest assessment on where we still could stand to improve. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the advancements, I think kind of big picture advancements are just better diagnostic criteria so that we find students that you know in the past may have just been kind of considered like weird or disregarded by their peers and teachers and we're now getting better at kind of recognizing diverse learning needs and seeing them as diverse learning needs and seeing them as something we need to support rather than kind of blaming the student for the challenges that they're having so that really has me excited and i think the bigger the bigger um, movement of diversity, equity, inclusion for people of color and for all different areas is helping is helping us just as a inc increase our consciousness. 
you know, for the, for diversity of all kinds. So I think um, it's a, a bigger global movement that is much needed and I think is helping move along um, acceptance for diverse learners and understanding of people's different learning needs. So that's kind of like a big picture philosophical advancement. There's a lot of cool technological advancements too. I think the more that, um, you know, we can give people kind of technological supports, assistive technology, and um, other kind of supports that help them reach their goals is also really exciting. Um, so that really has me excited. I think limitations that still exist, I would love to see a more strengths-based approach for diverse learners. I think that a lot of times people see the diagnosis as um, something to cope with or a negative thing. And I, I think that I would like to see a more global, just acceptance that the diversity is just a good thing. You know, having people with different needs and um, different strengths and weaknesses is something that we all have. So I would like to see, for example, individualized education plans is what we call them here in the States. Like when a student has diverse learning needs, I would like to see those plans have a more focus on students' areas of strength. So developing those, the goals right now tend to all be students' areas of weaknesses and things that need to be developed. But I would like to see goals that really focus on their strengths too. Like what, what are strengths that we need to develop? What are unique um, attributes that this student brings to the table that are really great things? Um, and I would also like to see, this is kind of, again, a more philosophical one, but I would like to see more emphasis on individual students' needs rather than specific disability or diagnostic criteria. Um, I think that people can get really focused on what diagnosis a person has, uh, but I think it's more helpful to just view them as a, an individual with saying like, this is what they need, this is what their you know, strengths are, rather than um, getting really super focused on getting, getting, getting a diagnosis, so. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, diversity is the spice of life, right? Yes, definitely. So Laura, I'm also wondering if you could define for me the best part of your job. Why do you like what you do? Yeah, it's a great, uh, it's a great question. That's a fun question. Um, the best part of my job is definitely making, so to kind of tell people what my job is, I um, own a company called Progress Parade. Our Specialty is um, special education tutoring. So we work a lot with students with all sorts of different diverse learning needs. Um, and my special, my favorite part of my job is making those perfect matches. Like when I know I talk to a parent, I know we have the perfect tutor for their student to really help turn their learning challenge into a life-changing achievement. So I get just really excited about knowing that the student's gonna get what they need and knowing that the teacher is going to do what they're passionate about and really see their student progress, I get really excited about making that, that perfect match and just knowing that it's going to be a good experience for everyone. Absolutely. You know, uh, as you know, Laura, I was born with uh, spastic quadriplegia cerebral palsy. So you and I uh, both know all about individual education plans. But for mm -hmm. those that may not know, tell me about the importance of an IEP uh, when it comes to uh, making sure that uh, a student with diverse learning needs is successful. Yeah, they're very important. So um, an IEP 
an individualized education plan really starts with a thorough assessment of the of what the student needs. So understanding their um, skills cognitively, academically, behaviorally, medically, speech and communication. So all the different areas and then doing an assessment of all those different areas to understand the students needs and then coming up with a plan to make sure that those needs are being met. And um, you know, anybody who's seen like a physical IEP knows it's a very big document, it's a long document, but that's necessary to just make sure that we have goals for all of those different student areas and that we're working on the students' um, needs in, 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 in that area. So, uh, and, and, then, and then the states, I can say that it's a legally binding document. So, um, and you can, you can speak to that in Canada better than I can, but um, it is a legally binding document. So it is something then that the student is entitled and will receive legally and across the whole nation. So once a student has an IEP that documents everything that they need, goals, services, accommodations, then they can feel comfortable moving about the, the country saying, this is, this is what I'm gonna get in whatever school I'm in because this is what I need um, for, my, for my learning needs, so. Absolutely, and I'm also wondering about how uh, COVID has affected the students you work with, you know, because not everyone is adapt to always learning online. So I'm wondering how that's going in terms of, of students' progress as well. Great question. So yeah, COVID has definitely been a, uh, a roller coaster ride for many people. Um, you know, some students, I, so many students do struggle with the online instruction. So um, I think so every school district handled this differently, um, but some of those students were prioritized for going back to school. So I know many school districts when they had back to school plans did prioritize students with IEPs. So um, I'm hopeful that some students were able to have some in-person instruction last year, but I know many parents did struggle at home um, with to support their student with diverse learning needs. Um, it's a really specialized skill to, to you know, have training and teaching diverse learners. So um, parents don't necessarily have those skills. So I know they struggled um, and are really excited to get their kids back into the classroom. Um, and I will say that some students, even with diverse learning needs, had a great year. Some students that might have social anxiety or that might have, um, that might respond really well to, to learning on the computer. We did hear some feedback from parents that this was a great year for them to learn from home. So it does totally depend on the individual learner and their needs, but um, it was definitely a very mixed, mixed year for diverse learners. Absolutely. Uh, I think that we're all ready for returning to a culture of somewhat normal, right? Yes, I definitely am. And I think many people are. And Laura, I'm also wondering if you had any thoughts to first time teachers and navigating uh, teaching someone with diverse learning needs, if they're in their classroom, what would you say to them? Yeah, I would say um, for a first time teacher, that can be a real challenge if you have, um, you know, a behavior or academic need that you weren't expecting or that isn't the same as everybody else's. So I think first thing is to be okay seeking out help and resources to know that 
you don't know everything and that's totally fine. You never, you never will know everything. And that's, that's the exciting part about it being human. But um, yeah, so there are supports at your school. So I would say reach out to fi find out who your school psychologist is, find out who your school social worker is. Um, and, and if you're seeing a, a student with communication difficulties, there, every school also will have a speech language pathologist in some capacity. So I would say find out who those people are and talk to them about your concern and see if they can support you at all. So, um, you know, they can maybe give you some suggestions or help you make a behavior plan if it's a behavior that you're seeing or help you understand what the process is for getting student support. So that would be my first recommendation is to seek out support. And if you don't know who, how to find those people, ask your principal, they'll be able to help you or your school administrator. They'll be able to help you locate the support staff in your building. That would be my first recommendation. Um, my second recommendation would be to try your best um, to understand that all behavior is communication. So if you're seeing behavior challenges, it's probably because the student is struggling to communicate something in some way. So um, just try not to take it personally. If you're frustrated, like the student isn't trying to act out to upset you or to be a bad kid. It's really because they're probably struggling in some way and, and that behavior is communicating that struggle. Um, so those would be my two biggest suggestions is to try not to take it personally, to reach out to um, support staff. And also I think just do your best to have your classroom as structured as possible. Most students benefit from clear expectations and clear rules and clear consequences when those rules aren't followed. So just making sure that you have um, some clear structure in your classroom will, will also help a lot with diverse learners. And as a school psychologist, uh, I know for you personally, uh, a healthy and productive relationship with teachers is very important. So can you talk to me about, about the importance of that uh, re relationship between a student, uh, a psychologist, a teacher, and a parent? Yeah, student. And yeah, all those relationships are very important. So. Um, I would say school psychologist to student, we do our best to build positive, um, positive behavior, positive relationships with students like school psychologists, we often interact with students on a testing capacity. So we might be doing assessments of academics or cognitive skills. So we make sure to start that off on a positive note to give students lots of breaks. We want to get the best um, data that we can from, from our assessment. And we want to be seen as a positive support for everyone, for the, for the students and for the teachers. We want to make sure to support one another and build that um, positive community in the school, too. So um, does that answer your question, or did you want me to talk about any more specific relationships? No, that answers my question well. And I, I also... Robert says, for any first-time parent who just received the diagnosis of a learning disability in their child, it's important for parents to do their homework early so that they know where the resources are to support their child both inside and outside of the classroom. 
Yeah, I would say it depends on where the diagnosis came from or what your first steps would be. Some parents get a first time diagnosis at school or from the school environment. Some parents get it from a private evaluation. It just depends on who did the evaluation. So I would say if you got it at school, then make sure to build a positive relationship with that school team. Again, find out who the different team members are. It can feel really overwhelming sitting at that initial meeting with, um, with everybody at the table. Like I said, it might be school psychologist, social worker, speech pathologist, nurse. So there could be a lot of people there, but after you kind of have a moment to digest the information that you got and re, you know have your initial reaction, I think it's good to then kind of get to know who those different people are in the school team so that you know who's there to support you. If you get the diagnosis um, privately, I think your next step is probably to go to the school team and say, hey, here's the report from this private evaluator that, I, um, that my students saw. And I just want you to have it and to see what, you know, consider what supports my student might need here at school. And you can officially request an evaluation at the school setting too, so that they can take all that new information in and make sure that your students' needs are being met at school. And I would also say to seek out community. There are lots of great resources like your podcast for parents to find support and to find great information. And there are also lots of Facebook groups or um, in-person groups for any kind of diverse learning need. So, um, you know, finding community can help you process your reactions to the diagnosis and to process um, your students' needs and, and how you can support the student. So, you know, seeking out support from peers or even from a professional like a psychologist can go a long way to um, helping you process that diagnosis and getting all the support you need. Absolutely. I, I always say when we talk about caregiving at any capacity, it's the power of collaboration, right? Definitely. The collaboration and community goes a long way. And Laura, I'm also wondering your perspective on what a fully diverse and inclusive culture looks for uh, uh, students with diverse learning. How do you think we can achieve full inclusion of those students? That's a big question. And I can kind of talk about it a little bit. And I think it's, it's, um, it's something that we all need to work for toward and we all need to collaborate on because it is so important to include, to be fully diverse and inclusive. And I think, um, there's just so many different components of that. We need to include all genders. We need to include all colors and races. We need to include all learning needs and cognitive needs and behavioral needs. So there, there's just, in all ages, I mean, a lot of people experience ageism. So there's just so many ways that diversity and inclusion um, is important and so many people that it affects. Um, so speaking specifically about diversity and inclusion for people with disabilities in an educational setting, I would say, um, you know, one thing we really need to do is, I would say one thing that would help us along is small class sizes, smaller class sizes, especially for younger students. I think many teachers are overwhelmed by the size of their classrooms and the, um, 
needs in a classroom when there are large class sizes. So I think reducing class sizes could help a lot for, um, for diversity inclusion, just so that teachers have the bandwidth to really create an inclusive setting. I think when you have so many people that you're trying to meet all their different needs, it can be really hard to create that inclusive environment. I think um, having dis changing discipline policies, I think that many administrators, like principals or deans, don't understand positive behavior support. So um, they tend to, when students have behavioral challenges, suspend or um, give detentions. And those, you know, aren't effective. They're, they're punishments and they're not really teaching students the new behavior that we're wanting instead of the behavior that they exhibited that resulted in the suspension or the detention. So I think just a lot of um, education is needed around positive behavior supports and helping people to, um, to really understand where they're the behaviors that we don't want, how we, how, what they're trying to communicate when they do that and helping to give them a better alternative and giving them, giving them the education and support that they need to um, exhibit that, the behavior that we're wanting to see instead of just suspending or, or um, giving detentions. Yeah, absolutely. And I know for your uh, personal uh, passion, uh, the Progress Parade was created based off what you were seeing in your day job. So I'm wondering if you can tell me all about the great work you implement with your uh, passion project, the uh, Progress Parade. Yeah, Progress Parade was founded based on wanting to provide one-on-one -on -one specialized support to anybody who needed it academically. So I was, you know, one, one frustration I had in a school setting was both on the teacher and the student side. I saw the teachers a lot of times had students with special education teachers in particular had students with very different needs that they were trying to meet at the same time and were not able to do their best job in that environment and obviously students needs aren't met in that environment either to the max maximum of their potential so in progress parade we're doing everything one-on-one -on -one. we're able to give every student their best fit of a teacher so you know a student who is struggling to learn to read is going to get a very different tutor from a student who needs support with organization and time management and work completion. So we're able to really hear from the parents and from the student, what are my needs? What are my goals? And then we're able to make that exact perfect match for what the student needs. And we're able to do everything one-on-one. -on -one. So um, teachers are able to do their best work. And that's really exciting because they're trained and excited to do that and students are able to see their best progress from themselves too, because they are getting that one-on-one -on -one specialized support. Absolutely, and I wanna uh, commend, commend you for the great work that you do, because uh, as you know, all uh, diverse learning needs are different for every student, so we can tailor plans for that. that that's certainly uh, progress. I just wanted to uh, commend you for the great work that you do. Thank you. It's a huge passion of mine and I feel really lucky to be doing it. So Laura, tell me, um, when you look at your personal and professional legacy, how do you think you would want that to be defined when you look at your work and your personal life? 
I want to be a person who has made the world more inclusive. I want to always create a growth environment. So I want mistakes and challenges to always be seen as learning experiences and not something to be ashamed of or punished for. So I really want to create a world where um, where diversity is welcomed and seen as a strength and we really understand and accept that there's a lot we don't understand, but we, we work to learn from each other and accept accept one another. And um, so, yeah, that's what I'm trying to work through for Progress Parade is creating a world where people have the support they need to meet their goals. Um, another big goal I have is 100% literacy too, so that everybody has, because I think being literate is so empowering that you can choose what to read, you can choose what to learn. It just gives you a lot more autonomy and control in your life when you're able to read. So that's another goal. That's a big passion for me. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's kind of how I want my legacy be, to be defined. And that's what I'm working towards personally and professionally. Fantastic. And tell me, outside of work, what do you like to do for fun? What do you like to eat? What do you like, like to do for activities? What do you like? like to do to let your hair down outside of work? One of my major activities I do outside of work is fostering dogs. I have a foster dog right now. Um, so I love to foster dogs and most of the dogs I get have some kind of medical or behavioral challenge. So that's, it's fun to see their progress and growth and to help them find their forever homes. So that's a huge passion of mine. And I also really like dancing. I do salsa dancing, haven't done it in a while pandemic life, but hoping we can, I'm vaccinated. So hoping to get back soon to that. Um, so those are huge passions of mine and eating that you brought up eating. I love eating and I live in Chicago. So Chicago certainly has a lot of great food opportunities. Um, so love to try out new restaurants and uh, try different food. Are you a Chicago deep dish kind of a girl or what kind of food do we like? I am not a deep dish kind of a girl, which feels like a crime to say in Chicago. I like, I love pizza though. I love pizza. I love thin crust pizza though. Um, I'm, I'm a thin crust girl, which my sister-in-law who's from New York is appreciates hearing that she loves her thin crust pizza too. But um, yeah, I love, I love, love, love thin crust pizza. Uh, we have lots of great like Mexican restaurants here in, in Chicago, like really like authentic um, taquerias and just great Mexican food. I mean, there's just like a huge variety. I, um, one of my favorite restaurants here in Chicago is called Galit, which is like a, a Mediterranean kind of food. Um, so variety is the spice of life humans or food right <laughs> absolutely and tell me if people want to get connected with you what's the best way they can do that yeah so they can go on our website progressparade.com um, again that's progressparade.com and then there is a book of free consultation on that um on that homepage. so all all down if they click book of free consultation as they're scrolling that will be a consultation directly with me so if you want to talk to me more, you can book a free consultation on our website. Um, and you can also, of course, follow us on any social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So wherever people want to follow us there, too. Fantastic, Laura. You know, I live my life through the prism of inclusion as the gateway to independence. I want to thank you 
for providing students with diverse learning needs with a pathway to inclusion and independence and for joining me today. It's most appreciated. Thanks, Kevin, for the work you're doing, and I've enjoyed being here.